Um, but what I want to do this morning, I think, for this, for this first session on this tour, is do a very short little, uh, almost like a recap piece. But I think it's an important, pivotal piece of wisdom from heaven that I think it's good to put the plumb line of our lives against. And it's Matthew 28, if you've got a Bible or a phone or whatever device you consume God's word on. I even got the Passion audio book the other day. That's, that's really good. Yeah, it's very good. Um, and uh, I'll just charge on. Is that okay? Because I only want to go for 20 minutes or so. Then we're going to pray a bit more. And then you never know. We might get to the Malanders. Is that the name of your band, Rachel? The Malanders. It sounds cool. Um, Matthew 28 says this, and it's Jesus, it's his parting words to his disciples, and so it's, it's pivotal, it's really important. And Jesus says this to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, and then we're just going to soak in some of these words, okay? Therefore, go into all the world, some, the, the Mark version says, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And uh, that's quite a strong one. You know, Jesus taught them some really quite tough stuff. And he says, go out and tell everybody the tough stuff too. I like that. And surely I am with you always, even to the very end. Of the age. I just want to pull out several key words in this passage. Now, as soon as we read this, you might think I'm going to preach a sermon that basically says, let's do evangelism. And absolutely you could, but that's not quite where I'm coming from with this. Um, you could go, it's, it's about world mission, let's get abroad, you know, who cares about COVID? Andrew's going to Mexico, Andrew Murray's off to Mexico in, well, next month. So um, that's if Biden opens up the borders. I don't know if he has quite yet, but we'll soon find out. Um, you know, some are getting back to world mission. I sat with a minister about a year ago who said, will we ever have missions like we used to have? And I'm like, I wanted to say, whatever happened to the days when missionaries would head off and, and pack their, their coffins with them as they went? You know, they had their appendix out and all their teeth out so they wouldn't have any teeth problems on the mission field and they'd go. We're not going to be scared of a bit of COVID, right? Yes, when Jesus says go, if you read it, you'll see he provides all the protection, the power, the authority, the impetus. We are called to go. And so let's, let's focus on that first word, go, for a minute. Everybody say go. So Jesus said to you, go. Go is more important than gather. Even though gather is really important and really biblical, which is why we gather, why we're trying to create more seats so we can meet together. Understand this, the life you and I are meant to be on should feel like a movement, not a club. It should feel like Star Wars. It should feel like The Hobbit, The Fellowship of the Ring. In other words, we are on an adventure here. We're not trying to form a country club where the aircon's just right. And we pay our dues and therefore we get to say how comfortable the seats are. No, on the dusty hills of Israel, Jesus looked these disciples in the eyes. Most of them would be martyred for the gospel. And he looked at them with love but absolute fire and said, so go. Now, we all know human nature makes it so that if you read the story, they actually had a bit of a revival in Jerusalem and stayed 
It is so human nature to stay and settle and form a club, even when we're having a good spiritual godly time. It's like, okay, they got the Holy Spirit right, but they're not going. They're forming a lovely Jewish, new Jewish sect in Jerusalem. So God actually used persecution to make them go and scattered them across those straight Roman roads out into the known world and the gospel began to, 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 to flourish around the world. Um, question then from this. So does your life feel like a movement? I don't even mean geographically, but I do mean does the scenery change? Because God has set us up not to form in clubs, but to go on a journey of adventure with him, with ever-changing scenery, with new challenges, with frustrating seasons. Anybody ever been through one of those? Right, with boring seasons. Anybody ever been through one of those? Right, you're going to mountaintops and valleys and changes, and my challenge this month is, and this season it's this, and last season it was that, but I'm a different person than the one I was 15 years ago. I've got to be honest with you, I'm such a different person than I was 20 months ago. Anybody on my planet? I have found the last 20 months so transformational, but in no way that was nice. (laughs) Not a bit of it. It was spitting feathers, irritation, annoyance, and all these kinds of things. And yet, when I look back, I go, God, you've changed me. I'm different. And, And you kind of, then you go, oh, thank goodness, Jared, that you're different. Some of you kind ones might go, well, you weren't that bad before. (laughs) Thank you, mum. It's it's the only one that's going to think that is mum, you know. Zach is going, yeah, thank goodness dad's changing. You know, I have to live with him. They just visit, you know. We're supposed to be changing. It's a movement. We're on a journey. And here's our problem and the... Even the early spirit-filled on fire, there was a fire in every one of their heads, but still they settled. Because the power of human nature, we're made of dust and dust settles. It's what we do best. And we, we, we sit back, I used the phrases recently, into that comfy old sofa of a job. And we, Yeah, but it feels comfy. It even smells of me. Yes, and there's a little sweat mark on the head area where you put your head and watch the telly every evening. We can settle into the sofas of same old, but Jesus looks every one of us in the eyes this morning and says, have an adventure. That's what he's saying. Don't sit down and create another club. Don't become another breed of Pharisee, but a Pentecostal Pharisee. Go on an adventure. Have it challenging. You know, read Jesus through the Gospels. He wasn't nice all the time. I think think English Christians translate Christianity as we're supposed to be nice. No, he spit feathers. He was rude. A lot of us, if we met Jesus, our pride wouldn't cope with his abruptness. And yet he was all love. Isn't that weird? Because we kind of in our passive-aggressive state think polite equals Christianity. No. Jesus was tough and rough, and yes, he was mild-mannered at times, but also he was like, yeah, you brood of vipers. You know? And then when the teaching got really bad and some people were leaving, he kind of doubled, he double-dialed it. He took the dial to 11. Yeah. We're meant to be on a movement. Do you know what happens if you don't move? It all goes dark. Do you know how I know that? Because I went to the toilet here earlier. 
has anybody noticed yet that there's movement-sensitive lights in the toilet? And I'm in there doing the delicate thing that you do in the toilet, and suddenly it goes pitch black. I'm like, what, um, uh, <laughs> what do I do now? I don't want to soil myself. I've got to go and preach in a minute. I could preach this way around, you know, what's happening? And I had, ooh, I had to do a bit of that to get the lights back on, which made everything worse. If you don't keep moving, the lights go out. And there's some truth in that. If you don't keep moving, you subtly start to think it's about paying the mortgage. It's about, did I have a good week or a bad week? The best our life might become is, well, was it sunny this morning or not? Or did, I, or did I have another SAD day? And all of a sudden, we are humanized Christians. I mean, Jesus, I haven't got time to go into it, but essentially, when we humanize this journey we're on, he actually called it demonizing it. He said to Peter, who was trying to humanize him by saying, no, you're not going to die. Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. You have in mind the things of man. In other words, don't humanize this. That actually demonizes it. This is a supernatural journey that we're on. And I don't care whether we think, okay, so does that mean I have to go to Mexico to do this? No, no. Jesus never left his borders other than as a child. Right? But, but he kept going in the land with the boundaries of where he was called to be. And somehow he traveled much less than most of us, but transformed the world in three and a half years. He, he did more through three and a half years than we could do through three lifetimes with the internet and plane travel. He did in three and a half years. Do you know, historians say today, non-Christian historians would say, see if you can catch the, the thought of this. You know what's gone on in Afghanistan is a rough country, right? My brother lived there for a while. They're still hanging bodies in the streets and stuff like that. It's a very rough country. And historians would say the whole world was like Afghanistan until one event happened, and it was the coming of Jesus Christ. Non-Christians would say, the coming of Jesus Christ was the pebble in the pond whose ripples gave us West, the Western world today. We think like we do, we, th we think of certain things as barbaric and other things as, as good because of the life of Jesus Christ. Sociologists, anthropologists would tell us he did it in three and a half years. And he went, even though he didn't go that far. So if God's told you to go to the top of your street, that's all the going you need to do. It's not that we all have to sign up to Andrew's mission to Mexico. But wherever you're at, the scene should change. The adventures should go on. That's why we're out here. And next week, we're going to be in Hesel. And the week after in Guildhall. And the week after in Craven Park. And the week after somewhere else. There was a moment. I remember being in the northeast of the country with Jean Darnell. If you remember who she is. An American prophetess. And uh, it's a long story. I'll make it shorter. She prophesied. And we were nowhere near the Humber or Hull. She said, I just see fire from the Humber up through East Yorkshire. And at that point, we were one church in one place. And after pondering and praying, we felt, no, there's something regional for this church. In fact, if you know the history of Hull, just to I'll throw this out there, seeing as we're a nice small little group, and some of you would relate to this. Do you remember that Hull Community Church used to be a regional church? The former leaders of that church essentially said, you know, it's like the mantle passed from Hull Community Church for regional to you. And suddenly everything began to be regional. And you know there's a huge change going on in the whole community church. And um, here we are today, 
seeking to bring the gospel right across the region. When the eyes of Jesus look at you and say, go, we've got to find our ways to obey. Now, you go every morning into work or to your neighbor or just the things that you do, to that exercise class. Think of everywhere you walk as your go. Don't think it's something that I do for 10 days in the summer and I come back and do that. Those intense experiences are valuable. But actually, everything we do, we can do as worship to Jesus. We can even be in the loo, waving our arms around, trying to get the lights back on and going, yes, I'm worshiping Jesus with my waving. That's what the greats do, you know. It's not, I worship God for an hour on a Sunday and then the rest of the week's not worship. This is where we need to get to, every one of us. Every, I cut hair worshiping Jesus. I make TV programs worshiping Jesus, I do. He takes glory in the way I focus my camera. God sees it as much as an act of worship as doing that. I mean, there's Darren on his iPad sorting out the sound. As he, as he moves those, those protect, is he not? He's playing solitaire. As he, as he sits, <laughs> he's, play, he's checking the football scores. Uh, worshiping, if you can't worship Jesus through what you do, you shouldn't be doing it. <laughs> That's always a good signal, isn't it? You should be able to snip those scissors and go, it's a sound that gives God joy. Because we were made to work and to worship through work. So we don't just come to worship. We are acts of worship to the living God. And that's how the goodness of God shines through our lives. So listen, retain a sense of movement. Don't allow that strong pull of the flesh that even on fire disciples struggled with to pull us down into I'm just settling. And actually we end up sitting, sitting down one day going, you know what, I don't think I've changed in 20 years other than I've got a bit grayer. And in the last 20 months, a little bit more lockdown lard, you know, and a few more chips. The second thing, Jesus, the first one is go. The second thing he says is make disciples. Make disciples. He doesn't say attend church. He says it's all about discipleship, which is learning. And here's a nice phrase. What do you think of this? Becoming an apprentice of Jesus Christ. That's what it's really about. It's not about, you know, services, uh, 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 singing songs, rah, rah, you know, lights, camera, action, I, I don't, whatever we, we think church might be. All those things are fun and I love them, but they're not really what it's about. They are the, the flowers, the petals. If we get down to the root of what this is about, you and I have signed up to become apprentices of Jesus Christ. A, a man called John Mark Homer, whose book I have loved under lockdown, a remarkable book, I think it's called... Um, the Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. It's an awesome book. Uh, and, and I've got the audio versions, but I do, I do a lot of audio books. Now my eyes aren't, you know, I come like, oh, just, I'll just let the author read to me. I prefer it that way. I think I deserve it now. I'm 51. Um, but his story of being a megachurch pastor in the United States and then just realizing, you know, I, I, can, I can be a success as a pastor, but a failure in my soul. I can, I can have all the out, I can have bums on seats, book sales, fame, people think he's doing great, but actually, but I'm not in any way an apprentice of Christ. The measurables are all wrong. 
What matters really is, are we learning from Jesus? That's, that's, what, that's what this is about, but this is just one small part of it, isn't it? This is, this is where we gather to celebrate it and hopefully to be provoked and, and, and stirred and inspired and comforted. Something happens when two or three gather in his name. We know that. But every day, it's about, so am I a disciple? Am I changing? Listen to this verse, because some of you probably think, well, disciple sounds like lots of classes and lots of reading and, and you know, things to be at. And well, it, it might be at times, but listen to how Jesus put it. You'll like this verse. Are you ready? Come to me, all you who are weary. Uh, that was John Mark Homer. He, he said, I was a successful pastor. His church grew by a thousand members every year for seven years, and he hated it. Sometimes success is the furthest thing from what we really want. And we get there and we go, this is horrible. I'm accomplished and successful, but I'm nowhere near Jesus. He actually used these words, I'm toxic. You can be in church and yet have a toxic soul. You can appear successful and preach the Bible, but inside you just know, but I'm just clinging on. They say that groups that, we, that leaders lead kind of become like them. He used this phrase, he said, I sure hope my church doesn't turn out like me. Let's be honest, that happens to all of us. And he came to this verse, this is what learning is supposed to be like. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke on you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for yourselves. Who wants this school? They kind of breathe out. Just stuff the the guilt-driven tick box, sausage machine of Christianity. Jesus is saying, be my disciples, and you'll make disciples that are worth (laughs) discipling. Learn from me. It's not about jumping through church hoops. It's about yoking up to Jesus and going, actually, if you walk with me, you'll have rest in your souls. No more imposter syndrome, no more fear, no more just ragged, toxic internals. Instead, it's, yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me, the Bible tells me so. Is it really any more sophisticated than that? Not really. Everything springs from that root. Be a disciple of Jesus. Are we learning from him? Stretching into the go and the movement, stretching into everything I do, worships, and is part of my relationship with you, Jesus. Are we learning from his words, even the complex ones, going, okay, God, that's really tough. I don't really like that right now. But just beginning to meditate on them because you're not yoked to a church, you're yoked to Jesus. Let's be apprentices of Jesus, amen? And... (laughs) So John Mark Homer sat down and he had a, a new plan for his church. In fact, so he ended up with a, a load of congregations, multi-site church, a thousand members in lots of them, that kind of thing. And he sat down one day and said to his board, he said, okay, I resign. Well, I resign from most of the congregations. Can I just lead one? 
because I'm exhausted and I'm toxic and I might be a great pastor, but I'm a terrible disciple of Jesus right now. It's the kind of honesty we need, isn't it? It's kind of lockdown level honesty, I think. And he said, I just, can I just take on one of the congregations? And he picked one of the smaller ones, one of the exciting ones. It was in, kind of in a, in a rough suburb with wild people. And he thought, that's the only one I really feel the pull of heaven. Sometimes you can find yourself in a place where you have everything you've asked for and you hate it still. He said, I must find the place where whatever I do within it, I can be an apprentice of Jesus. And he took that one congregation and he began to redesign church. He said, it might sound crazy to you, but he decided the vision was just this, that we must all become apprentices of Jesus. You would think, well, what were we doing before? (laughs) What else is there for a church to do? And he sat down with uh, one of his mentors and helpers who was a, a psychologist who really understood you know, society and history and anthropology and stuff like this and presented his plan and, and this, this, this very wise mentor looked at it and said, it's, it's a wonderful plan, there's only one problem. The whole world is too busy to be an apprentice of Jesus. True spirituality cannot be found in the modern pace of life. Which is why I think it's wonderful that Jesus puts it this way. Learning from me is about slowing down and resting. And really beginning to hear me. Our lives need a lot more margin. A lot more hanging out with God. A lot more, yes, Jesus loves me. Don't you think? The third word in this, and I've run out of time, so I'll do it real briefly. He said go, so it should feel like movement, not club. He said be a disciple, not just come to church and attend. So it should feel like we're yoked to him and learning, and then in our teaching of others, we also show that grace and that sheer pleasure, not of a school classroom, but of a relationship that's growing Fathers and sons, mothers and daughters, etc., etc. Then the third one is, he, he said that they should go and baptize them, which of course means immerse. It's impossible to grow in the things of God by, by sprinkling. You have to be immersed in the things of God. The only bit of the kingdom that really comes out in our lives is that which we are immersed in. Uh, when I go to Africa and I take malaria tablets, there's, there's, there's one version, because it depends what country you're in and what strain of malaria they got at the time, but there was one where I think I took two tablets a day and then four tablets every three or four days after about, and I'd been in Africa this particular year I'm thinking of, uh, about, uh, three, about four months of the year. So by the end of the year, if I, if I jumped up and down, I rattled, that's how many pills I'd taken. And I'd taken loads. And I remember out, being out in the African bush and a friend of mine who was a local saw me taking my pills and they had some malaria problems and he said, oh, can I, can I have one of your pills? <laughs> yeah, okay, I gave, I gave him a pill knowing it will do absolutely nothing. Right thing, wrong dose. And it's the same with the things of God. An hour on a Sunday simply won't do it, will it? It's the right thing, but it's, but it's an ineffective dose. It kinda, it's just enough to make me perhaps feel good for a couple of hours on a Sunday afternoon, but doesn't really get me through to Wednesday, let alone the Saturday after. Somehow I need to find a place to immerse in God more. That doesn't mean work. It doesn't mean duty. 
I'm not even going to sit and prescribe what you should do. Everyone in this room is wired differently. Some of you love to read. Some of you love to listen. Some of you uh, feel guilty because you like to do different things all the time. I, I admire disciplined people that do the same thing for 45 minutes every morning, and they've done that for 50 years. I think that's a proper Christian. right? When so, they'll, they'll get up and tell you how it should be done. And then, you know, two-thirds of the room just feels guilty because you're not wired like that. I like something different every day. In fact, my favorite thing is I go for a walk with God usually. Different route, do a different thing, listen, chat. Sometimes, do you know that because everything in life can be worshipped, sometimes you can just go for a walk with your own thoughts and you didn't even know it, but you've just prayed. Sometimes you can sit and have a coffee with a friend but you, have you, there's a scripture, Dad, tell us where it is. It says that as they talked, God heard. And virtually it says it like this and regarded it as prayers. Sometimes you can talk with a friend over a coffee and it's a prayer. Some friends can immerse us in the wrong stuff. That's not normally a prayer. <laughs> we can be immersed in social media. I don't know about you, I've just had to cut off news altogether. The BBC, what's the BBC? I don't listen to it anymore, sorry, Andy. Unless you're doing something, then I watch it. That's the idea. Oh, Shirley as well, yeah, sorry. Oh, it's the wrong sermon today. I meant Sky, I meant Sky TV, that's what I meant. Don't, don't do. Except for Look North, that's the only thing I listen to is Look North now. And the, and the boxing, now that was talk radio at three o'clock this morning. Uh, Tyson Fury won. Fabulous win. It was great. I'm not paying for it, though. I listen to it on radio. Boxing on radio? It's a bit like watching a painting program on radio. Do you know what I mean? It's, yeah, okay, I can go to sleep now. He's won again. And he thanked his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Do you know that his grandmother used to go to one of our congregations? Um, where am I? You've put me off. It's the BBC guys putting me off. I put, I put my foot in it. It's not recorded, this is it. But you have to watch. You have to watch what you're soaked in, right? Because in the end, and, it, and it's not what's said, it's the quantity of the human mind is not made for 24-hour news headlines. Remember when the two towers fell, 9-11? Um, 500 years ago, you would have heard of that three months later and you'd have heard of it once, that there was a land far away where this dreadful thing happened, and you would have grieved for a few days, and it would have been done. How many times did we watch those towers fall? We were immersed in it, and it does something. How many days have we heard the COVID daily death figures, and we immerse in it? It's, it's, it's how we're wired to work. But what... Huh, Here's the thing from John Markoma. You've read the book, Rob. See if, see if I get it right. I think studies show that the average person touches their iPhone 2,600 times a day. Average. And he said this, what if God touched your soul that many times a day? Who would you be? The only way this life that we read about and that people like me preach will work is if we're immersed in something greater than the news headlines, something greater than social media. We must, in all our individual beautiful ways, not by 
running off to Bible school, but in our individual ways, find a way to immerse our souls in the grace of God every day. Then something remarkable will happen.